Welcome, First Friends Church family. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. It is hot up here. I don't know about you. If someone has a towel, I would take one. That would be... My shirt's going to change colors before the end of the day. In Nevada... We're going to cover all the states. In Nevada, 65,000 people gathered on February 11th in an arena to worship. Each one paid a great deal to gather with other worshipers. They wore appropriate clothing, revealing and highlighting their devotion. Throughout the whole service, there were shouts of praise, a sea of faces shouting at the tops of their lungs in awe, rejoicing over the things they had seen and heard. There were people who had traveled from all over the globe to celebrate together, testifying of their devoutness often high-fiving and even hugging people next to them they didn't even know. Nobody asked them to raise their hands or shout. They just knew, as a whole body, the appropriate times and level in which they responded in worship. You see, for everyone, this event was costly, but it was worth all their investment. If you haven't already picked up on it, I am talking about Super Bowl 58 between the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I will not fangirl over this too long, but um, but there is a point to this. Oh, thank you very much. This is really, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, this is really awkward. Authenticity, authenticity. Okay. And... And, uh, but a little bit closer to home, an estimated 123.7 million viewers tuned in for Super Bowl 58, according to average audience estimates from Nielsen. The the broadcast averaged 120.3 million viewers on CBS alone, making it the largest audience for a single network worship, or telecast to date. So the parallel of some sporting event to our own narratives on worship is satirical, but it's also sobering and revealing. And the point I'm trying to make right out of the gate, this is my first point, is this, that we were created to worship. We are worshipers. It's in our DNA. It's, it's, it's wired in us. We ascribe worth by focusing our time, our investment, our energy on something every day. We think about that. Think about that which you, you focus all, all of your efforts, all of your, all of your hopes, all of your th- the things. We're ascribing worth to this. It's, it's in us. And so what or who? What are you worshiping? Something to, to think about right out of the gate. This morning, we're highlighting our fourth cal- core value, worship, which we have defined as reflecting God's glory and enjoying his presence. 
But before we dig deeper into that, I have two more points uh, to make as we get started as, as to why worship matters to us today. The, so along with that we were created to worship, the second is this, that we become what we worship. I invite you to open up your Bibles if you have one. If you don't have one and you would like a Bible, we have uh, some ushers that are gonna come down the aisles uh, with Bibles and we love uh, sharing God's word. And so if you would like one to read, uh, just raise your hand and they would love to hand you one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have your own copy of the Bible, please take this as a gift from us, um, our way of saying that we love God's word and we want, we want everyone to have it. And so I invite you to turn to Psalm 115. It is the, the biggest book about in the middle of your Bible, um, Psalm 115. In Psalm 115, beginning in verse one, it says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So about 19 years ago, I read one of my very first worship books, books on worship, and it was, it was titled The Air I Breathe by, by Louis Giglio. And in his book, he writes, if you worship money, you'll become greedy at the core of your heart. If you worship some sinful habit, the same sin will grip your soul and poison your character to death. If you worship stuff, your life will become material, void of eternal significance. If you give all your praise to the God of you, you'll become deluded with self, a disappointing little God, both to yourself and to those who trust in you. You see, we become exactly what we worship. The thing that we look at the most, we, we take the form of that. And so once again, what are we worshiping? It is important because we become just like it. But the third point is this, that I wanna say right out of the gate, God wants our worship. And we know that even by most of the, the, the first half of the Ten Commandments and in the second and third commandment in Exodus 20, it says this, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, God understands the way we were put together and God understands that whatever we behold, the deepest that we will become like it. And don't you think God wants the very best for us? His, the, the, the thing in which he was, was made in, in his image and, and he wants us to be like him. He says, be holy for I am holy and so, so look at me. Worship me because then you will be transformed into my likeness. That's what I want for you. God understands that. Louis Giglio says in his book, The Air I Breathe, it's not that he needs any more worship to be worthy. No, God can't be more worthy than he already is and has always been. It's not that God needs our worship, but he wants it. 
And he wants it because he deserves it. God is smart. (laughs) He understands the greatest, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the omnipotent, the omniscient. He knows who he is. And he wants us to worship him because he deserves that. And so for the rest of our time, I want to understand then what right worship looks like. And so, 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 so taking off right at the beginning, right worship first reflects God's glory. Right worship reflects God's glory. John 1, 3, here's a few verses. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Creation was made to reflect the glory of its creator. So in, for my undergrad, I, I studied at Barkley College in Haviland, Kansas. It was about two hours from my original hometown in southwest Kansas. And uh, it's a four-year Bible, uh, Friends College. And uh, I, I just remember I was, I was in a class and I was walking from one building uh, to another. And the campus is pretty small, so that doesn't take, take a long distance. But uh, it was about this time of the year and I was seeing, uh, I was seeing the birds were out. And, and I was seeing the trees starting to, to, to turn the green hue. And it's coming, folks, I promise. It's, it's going to happen, okay? Um, and, and I just remember, as a college student, walking across, kind of, you know, looking down, thinking about classes, and I'm looking up, and then just kind of taking that moment in. Seeing God's creation doing exactly what it was made to do. And, and just normal stuff, everyday stuff. And in that moment, the Lord revealed to me and and moved me to this. The birds are doing what they were created to do. The trees are doing what they were created to do. Am I doing what God made me to do? It's pretty simple. And yet, the, the very creation on day six, God made man in his image. And man in his image chooses to reflect God's glory or not. It's the one creation that chooses to go against what God originally had wired in them to do. And we on our own, in our own understanding, decided let's, let's do it something else. Let's, let's worship something else. Let's reflect something else's glory. Let's, let's, let's go after that. And you see there's an internal homing device riveted deep within your soul that perpetually longs for your maker an internal Godward magnet pulling your being toward him. You see, we were pre-wired to praise. So, if we are pre-wired to praise, how do we praise him? I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 4. For the remainder of our time, we'll be here in John chapter 4. And a little uh, preface, Jesus 
in this story, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. And in this conversation with her, Jesus offers uh, some grace um, and, then, and then some truth, uh, re- revealing this woman's uh, sinful lifestyle. So he offers grace and truth to this woman and, and perhaps awkwardly changes the subject here in, starting in verse 19, and that is where we will pick up. The woman says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet after he had revealed this truth in her life. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. I recently read a book called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, and he translates these two worship acts of, of worshiping the Father in in spirit and in truth, the type of worshipers that the Father is seeking. He, he lays it out right here for us, very clear. John Mark Comer um, translates that as uh, um, relationship and reality, um, spirit and in truth. And that's what my, my second and third points are. So, so the second point is this, right worship is in spirit or relationship. To define it, in spirit, the word, the word here is pneuma, which is where we get the word breath. God's empowering presence. It's the relational connection with God. It's what we're talking about when we are talking about practicing, enjoying God's presence. When I was a student at Berkeley College, um, Dr. David Osborne Williams was my professor. Now he's my father-in-law. Um, but uh, I, when, I was a, when I was a student there, I was taking spiritual formation one, and one of the requirements for the class was to take a, a intentional personal spiritual retreat. Uh, maybe a day, a minimum, four hours. So one Saturday, I drove down to Belvedere, Kansas. Um, Haviland was where I went to attend college, was maybe like six or 700 people. Belvedere was maybe like 12 people, I don't know. Uh, but some of the most beautiful scenery um, in South Central Kansas. And I remember driving my truck uh, into this just, just beautiful plains area and, and I drove up on this hill, which in Kansas we define hills as anything that's not flat. So, so like 10 foot drop is, is a hill, it's definitely a hill. Um, and so I, so I parked up there and I got out and set my, the, the bed on my truck. I had my, I had my Bible, I had a notepad, I had a pen, and I began to, I began to retreat. And I read every scripture I could think of and, and reflected on that. And I remember writing down a whole bunch of things on my notepad and journaling. I remember praying kind of over every name and every, every matter and, and taking it to God. And after fulfilling the required length of time, I got back in my truck and drove back to Haviland. But I was discouraged. The Lord never gave me a special word or any special insight, which maybe I thought that was maybe the the key idea to a spiritual retreat, that I would have a special word or something that he would speak to me. 
And so as I'm driving along, really discouraged by this, I was listening to, to a CD. I think a lot of you know what that is in, in my truck. And it was, a, it was a Christian rock band at the time called Starfield. And uh, the song was playing and it says this. The song says, here I am at your feet, in my brokenness complete. And those, those lyrics really spoke to me, maybe more than anything while I was on my retreat because as if God was saying to me, I didn't need anything or want anything from you. I was just giving you my presence. And that is enough. God wants to give us the gift of his presence. At any moment of the day, notice this isn't even just about just enjoying his presence on a Sunday morning in this room dressed in these clothes. But we can enjoy his presence anywhere. Even in the moments that we really don't have a lot of things to enjoy, right? Kids screaming in the back of a car, we can enjoy his presence. On our, on our way to work, stressful commute, we can enjoy his presence. Think about all the things in which we can do that might feel mundane or laborious, and yet we could still enjoy his presence. That is worship. Think about, have you really just sat down and enjoyed God's presence lately? The third point is this, that right worship is in truth or reality. The word truth here is aletheia. And John Mark Comer defines truth in his book but this way, reality or that which corresponds to reality. Truth is what we can rely on as real. It's words that we can rely on to find meaning in our lives. So I had, uh, I had an academic advisor who, who taught most of my uh, music ministry courses and, and in corresponding, I noticed that at the bottom of his email, he had this little, these, these words at the bottom of, of like his tag, his signature, and on his signature was, was this Latin phrase, lex, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. It sounds kind of like a, a, like a magic potion type thing. It's not, it's Latin and here's what it means. The way we pray forms the way we believe, which forms the way we live. Or in other words, the way that we, the form in which our, our worship is to God forms the way we believe, forms the way we think, which forms the way we live. And so there's great value in worshiping rightly in truth, because it matters. It's not just worshiping anything for any odd reason, but having a clear understanding and, and, and thorough thought with our minds, loving God with our minds, because it gives us the right identity. And that identity impacts the way in which we live out our lives. So the true and proper worship matters here. And so notice in John chapter four, he doesn't say, Yet a time is coming, now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit or in truth. See, the Samaritans, they actually only had the, the Pentateuch, and that was why there was kind of this weird crossbreed among them, because they didn't have the truth. They didn't have the full truth. They didn't have the Psalms. They didn't have the prophets. And so they were filling in blanks. And so Jews began to, to despise the Samaritans. They didn't have the full truth. He says, instead, we will, the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit 
and in truth. You can't pick one and not the other. And here's what I mean by this. So the first side is this. The spirit without truth has no meaning. Spirit without truth has no meaning. We have a missionary friend, actually you, you met her and her husband a year ago. Um, these, uh, for security reasons, I'm not gonna say much else beyond that, but they serve as missionaries in Asia. And uh, in, in her village, um, she made a, a really deep connection and relationship with someone who lived close by. In fact, they lived on the same uh, apartment together. And this woman was Hindu. And, uh, and so they would have a lot of meaningful qu- conversations, lots of questions that she would ask her to kind of help understand uh, things, understand the culture, and, and learn how to love this village better. But, but there was one day that part of this, this, uh, this Hindu festival that she was taking cow urine and sprinkling it all over everything in their household. I don't think I know what that smells like because I'm from Kansas, but just in my house, I don't know, that's another thing. But she began to sprinkle this, this cow urine all over. And so, so our missionary friend just saw her doing this. And she said, what, what is that? What, do you, what does that mean? Or what, what is the, the purpose of that? And she looked, she looked down and she kind of, she, as if she didn't really understand what she was doing. Maybe, maybe the spirit was there, but there was no truth in it. And in that moment, there was a little bit of reality check for her and awareness of, oh yeah, why am I doing this? And in in truth, she kind of began to hide this. She kind of tucked it away and kind of was unsure about what she was doing because, because what was actually true was it didn't have any significance and it was, it was really silly and it was towards a false god. In our musical worship, it can look a little bit, this, this spirit with no truth, it can look a little bit like fun, high energy music or deep, deep emotion. Lots, lots and lots of emotion, which, which can be spirit led, but with no morsel of truth to anchor it. Even if what's going on between our own two ears, maybe there is truth being spoken, but if it is just high energy or maybe if it's just a lot of fun or maybe it's just, just deep, deep emotion, we're, we're just we're worshiping our emotions with no truth to, to anchor it. I think of Elijah's experience in 1 King 19 when Yahweh asks Elijah to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord was about to pass by. It would have been an easy to mistake God's presence to be in the wind or in the earthquake or in the fire. In fact, most, most of the other nations at the time, when, when they would have seen something like that, they would have said, there is a God in that. One of our gods is in that. But God wasn't in any of those things. Instead, it was in a gentle whisper. There was God's truth. Why? Because there God spoke. And when he speaks, it is true. So you can have all the lights, all the smoke, all the energy, and still completely miss it. I've been known to like just really sit in maybe uh, a, a, a lot of songs that are just kind of slow and methodical because I, I really want to think through what I'm singing. And I'm a little bit slow, so I need to sing it a few times to really capture it. And sometimes we can just miss it 
can be it can be really light, can be really thin in in those in those other songs. It can be tempting to miss our whole purpose, our whole intention in worship. Don't assume that in the still small moments that God isn't capable of revealing his deepest truth. In our last set, we had, we had, the, we had these really loud crashing sounds and, and, and big instrumental moments, but then at the end, I just invited us to sit and be still. Did you know God's presence was just as thick? He could reveal his truth just as much in that moment. In silence, he could reveal his truth. The other side of the coin is this, that truth without spirit is cold, even cruel. You've had those interactions with people who, that want to just kind of drop in and speak the hard truth into your life, but they don't even know you. Maybe they don't understand your heart, they don't understand your motivation or your intention, but they, they want to, to drop maybe what is a truth bomb and it feels more disruptive, it feels more, more uh, uh, fracturing than, than healing for you. Just take any social media comment, Facebook page, or anything like that. You think about dropping a truth in and then walking away. Um, there's, there's no love, there's no, there's no care, there's no relationship, it's just, it's just hard truth. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work. The example for us in, in musical worship, it looks like singing words with our mouths and not with our hearts. It could be the greatest hymn saturated with the deepest truth, but with no understanding, our heartfelt praise. It's also easy and tempting to worship the song, to worship the style or the tradition, okay? And completely miss the trinity, completely miss the relationship. Think of Jesus' description that he gives the Pharisees when they were more focused on their traditions than on honoring God. He said, these people, they honor me with their lips, truth, but their hearts, spirit, are far from me. Mary and Martha, great examples of, of one being relational and one, one, one working so hard and, and the other just sitting at Jesus' feet and being with him. So I wanna close this way. Jesus makes it very clear to us the type of worshipers that our Heavenly Father seeks. God wants us to worship Him by reflecting His glory and enjoying His presence in spirit and in truth. My heart is that we would be a church that is known for worshiping the Father in spirit and truth. A church that reflects His glory and enjoys His presence. My heart is that we wouldn't look to the right or to the left to see who has maintained the oldest traditions or who has marched forward with the newest and flashiest worship content. My heart is that we would be First Friends Church. I read Psalm 115 earlier. The way it ends is this. It is we who extol the Lord, praise the Lord, both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I want to be known for that, not worrying about what others are doing. And so for you, maybe there's a lot of different ways that, that you feel like you should respond to this, to this message. In fact, a response is, is a way in which we worship. God reveals himself to us and we respond in worship and we praise him 
and as we praise him that God responds back. It's relational, it's responsive. And so the only thing that we can do in, in, in responding to God's word in the message is to respond. So, so three questions, three, three real queries to consider and reflect on this morning. The first is this, what or who are you worshiping? What are you ascribing worth to? What do you invest your energy, time, and focus on the most? The second is this, have you enjoyed God's, God's presence lately? Take time this week, really, to sit in this. Maybe, maybe as we close this morning, just be a time in which you're just enjoying God's presence. Maybe this week in your own personal time, what would, what would need to change in your worship to do so? And the last thing is this. In your worship, have you paid more attention to the style or the tradition of the songs than on the truths revealed about our God? Each Sunday, I work really hard at putting together a flow. And a lot of times, I'm focused on, on things that may not come out, may not say it. And, and so to some, they're, they're paying attention to the volume or p- paying attention to the style. I'm, f- I'm focusing on the text. I'm valuing the truths that, that our church is hearing. I'm valuing the, the flow in which it's speaking to our church throughout the service, moving from adoration and praise to turning inward to understanding God's, God's holiness to, to my sin and a need for a savior. And in turn, being cleansed, being saved and rejoicing in that salvation, responding to the message, here am I, whom shall I send? Here am I, send me and we are sent in a benediction. Those are, those are my understanding and flow of worship every Sunday. I can't say that every time but it happens and it comes out. And so that is, that is my intention and that is my heart. So this morning we're gonna respond really simply. And I know for some that might, you'd rather have high energy. It's coming, I promise. High energy is coming. But to start really just to respond and, and we're gonna sing the heart of worship, uh, parts of it of just, just kind of understanding, stripping the music away Jesus, it's all about you, about nothing else. So I just want to sit in this moment. Let's be silent, be still, reflect on these questions. And let's let the, let's let the proper response come out of you. I'm not going to ask you, much like the fans at the Super Bowl game. They weren't asked. They didn't have someone come out and stand in the half field and say, okay, when we score a touchdown, please raise your hands and shout. It didn't happen. It was a natural response. And so in this space of worship, be free in allowing the natural response to come out of you. We have space here to praise if, if that is the invitation to just come forward and just in obedience. If, if kneeling, having a space to kneel at the altar in reverence and submission, that's, that's proskuneo, that's the, that's the worship word we have here in John 4, 
to, to kneel and bend, bend down and kiss the hand towards. Maybe you need prayed for something. Uh, I invite you to come to this side of the altar, whatever, whatever, whatever you may need. Let's just, be, let's just be receptive to what God has in this season. Let's just be still. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!